we're joining our friend Steve Jeppe, president of Diamond Comics and also the owner of Baltimore Magazine. Steve, how are you this morning? I'm good, guys. How are you? We're good, and you're on with, you You know me, of course, but Craig Heist. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and you guys know each other. Hey, we wanted to have you on, Steve, uh, uh, not so much to beat around and talk about what's going to happen with the Orioles, but you and I lost a dear friend this week, and he was a dear friend to anybody that was a baseball fan or anybody that had a collectible, um, Dick Gordon. What a shame. What a wonderful human being Dick Gordon was, and he is going to be missed immensely, not only by his family and friends, but by people in the baseball world. Dick kind of flew under the radar, but he was probably as influential as anybody I know in that field. Was he, you know, we all know that he represented people such as Frank Robinson, Earl Weaver, Louis Aparicio, Carl Yastrzemski, uh, Ted Williams, and Joe DiMaggio. But he was also a very sophisticated guy when it came to evaluating the value of things, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say that. And in a world where there's a lot of fraud, particularly in the baseball memorabilia world, if you bought something from Dick, you know it was solid, you know it was authentic, you know it was good, because he was in the business early on when that all started to come about. And in addition to that, Dick's reputation was impeccable. So I never felt uncomfortable about anything that Dick told me, because I knew it had to be the truth. Um, Dick, for a long time, represented, as I just rolled out a litany of the biggest names in the business, and it was interesting that both the Ted Williams connection and the Joe DiMaggio connection actually started from the Carl Yastrzemski connection. Did you know that? Someone mentioned that to me the other day at the funeral. I didn't know that prior to that, but that makes some sense. Yeah, you know, Yaz, of course, um, uh, uh, the the second generation, if you will, Boston superstar baseball player, uh, won a couple batting titles, won the MVP, and hit for the Triple Crown. But it was through his representation of Carl Yastrzemski that Ted Williams sort of witnessed that relationship and asked Yaz uh, who this guy Dick Gordon was. Exactly. And I never got to meet Yaz. That was one of the things I was hoping to do through Dick. He had often yeah. said to me, you got to come up to one of these events and meet him. But evidently, Yaz loved Dick and his wife, Gloria, and no doubt felt very comfortable in recommending uh to other players or even other managers, as we remember, Earl Weaver, our dear friend, was also on this list of clients. He had uh, Dick Williams, I think, Sam Weasel, and Willie Maisie, but I'm not even sure about that one, but I remember him telling me some stories. And, of course, no one told stories about baseball better than Dick. Do you have one story in particular that uh, rings a bell with you if you're asked about a story? Because... I could sit around with him as we did at my house on occasions and just hear him tell stories for, you know, literally a couple hours. Yeah, we did it a couple times, if you recall. Yep. The story I always tell is not so much about uh, another player, but about Earl Weaver. And I mentioned this, I think, in the obituary that I was honored to be included in. You know, uh, we went up to the Hall of Fame for Earl's induction, and you have to be a family member or a Hall of Famer yourself to stay at the Otisago, which is the main right. Hall of Fame hotel. And through the magic of Dick Gordon, I was able to stay at the Otisago Hotel 
under the dubious uh, alias of Steve Jeppy, Earl Weaver's brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you sly dog. <laughs> not my, not my, Steve's. My yeah. Earl in check on Saturday night so he wouldn't overdo it. Right. And I remember sitting uh, right behind his wife, Mariana, while he was up on the podium giving his acceptance speech. Uh, my sorry face was on ESPN for a while just because I was sitting right behind her. But Earl did a magnificent job uh, of giving a speech. And then, of course, that night he made up for what he didn't do the night before. Right. <laughs> we all had a blast. Dan <laughs> usual playing his harmonica. But that was Dick Gordon. There wasn't anything that you wanted or thought could be possible, but always thought it was, you know, kind of iffy. Dick right. said, no problem, let me take care of it. And next thing you know, it would happen. You know, one of the stories that he most took joy in telling was the story how Earl had asked him about a year before he died, said, you know, uh, I, want you to, I want you to run my memorial service. And he sort of nodded and said, yeah. And then when Earl tragically passed, Mariana called him and said, Dick, we need you to run this thing. And he loved to tell the story about how, how he not only got a recording of the Earl of Baltimore, he actually got Terry Cashman to fly down at the last minute to Florida to sing the Earl of Baltimore. I remember that story. I had another one for me was uh, there was a dubious collectible that I have buried somewhere here. Yeah. Earl got me a ball signed by Roberto Alomar and John Hirschbeck. Now there's a combination you wouldn't expect to see. <laughs> and you know that Hirschbeck didn't find it second no not at all i mean you know the, the funny part about that is for 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 as blown up as that got in that game second game at the end of the regular season that year and then alan alamari winds up getting suspended then those two turns out to be the best of friends because robbie has done so much for for hirschbeck's organization yeah. charity thing yeah i remember seeing when the first time they were on the field again together uh, Robbie, who was a good friend of mine, walked up with his glove hand and put it on the shoulder of Hirschbeck and obviously mentioned some conciliatory words, and it doesn't surprise you to that. And sometimes things that start off really bad end up cementing a great relationship. So if you're a positive person, you try to take the negative and turn it into a positive, and I think that's what they did there. It was unfortunate. Now, this is just Steve Jeffy's speculation, <laughs> But I remember when, after was it uh, Tony Fernandez hit the home run to beat us in Cleveland, we were up and the last out we had a man on with a chance to win with a two-run homer, and Alomar got punched out on an inside pitch, and I always thought that was revenge. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my my favorite uh, uh, my favorite Dick Gordon story was the one he told me, and it's funny it it has its genesis sitting in your office one time talking business with you. I turned around and I saw a box of checks written by, written or signed by Edgar Rice Burroughs, the guy who did Tarzan. Mm -hmm. And I had never before thought of the value of checks, but Dick Gordon told me a story once that showed me what a, a literally a genius he was. And I don't know if you remember this one. Oh, I, I know the story you're going to tell. Please yeah, tell it. It's yeah. a great one. Dick, Dick Gordon's flying with Joe DiMaggio, and I think they left. Dallas to fly back to New York or something. And Joe DiMaggio, by the way, was known as not the nicest guy in the world. And Joe used to get paid 
with first-class transportation in every deal he did. He would then take the first-class transportation, trade it in, get 300 or $400 cash, and fly coach. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, he's in the waiting area for this particular airline, and the place goes nuts that they see Joe DiMaggio's there, and everybody's coming up to get autographs and everything like that. The guy comes from behind the counter and says, Mr. DiMaggio, we're so honored that you're flying with us, and we're so, you know, we, we're sorry that you're being bothered by this many people. We'd like to upgrade you to first class. And Joe goes, that's good. Thank you. I appreciate it. And Dick Gordon goes, well, what about me, Joe? And he goes, you'll fly in the damn back where you belong. And Dick goes, <laughs> I want to fly up front with you. We got business to talk about. He says, how about my friend? He said, I'm sorry, Mr. DiMaggio, we'll have to charge you an upgrade for, for your friend. He says, how much is it? It's like $145. DiMaggio pulls out his checkbook, writes American Airlines, if that was the airline, $145, hands it to the guy. Dick And Joe DiMaggio goes to the bathroom. It took Dick Gordon all of about, what, eight, ten seconds. He walks up to the guy behind the counter and says, my friend Mr. DiMaggio gave you that check. And Dick pulls out $144 and says, we wanted to pay cash. Give me that check back. And Dick Gordon put that check in his pocket. And I'm just asking you, Steve, is that $144 check, which, first of all, never got cashed, that check's probably worth three or $4,000, isn't it? It could very well be a signed, and particularly an uncashed check, I would think, bring a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. You know, that was always my argument to the, uh, the today's fast-paced technology world, the paperless society. I said, yeah, you guys would be sitting there looking at Xeroxes of Jackie Robinson checks when the real checks are worth money, and you would have shred them. Yep. That's fascinating. That is. Speaking of that, and just to get off a of dick for just a second, um, this this world that we're living in where the Baltimore Ravens, and I'm not judging it or anything, they went to ticketless entry this year. Uh, I thought they rolled it out poorly but it really isn't that big a deal to use it, the technology. But are we missing something with the the loss of, of actual tickets and ticket stubs? Well, historically, ticket stubs were uh, significant depending on an event. Like, for example, if you go to any game, and I always make it a point, I never throw my ticket away till I see what happens, and after right. maybe the first hit in the game there's no longer a no-hitter or a perfect game in life. But people like to have, I still have uh, tickets from games that I went to. Or, uh, was a new, Unfortunately, it was against us. Nieves pitched a no-hitter against the Orioles, and I had that ticket. But, yeah, uh, the tangibility is, is important for collectors. We Like in the comic book business that I'm in, people don't, I know there are digital comics now, but people don't want Stan Lee, the creator of Spider-Man, to sign their iPad. Yeah. Right. They want the book. right. We're talking with Steve Jeppe, owner of Diamond Comics, largest comic book distributorship in the world, and uh, also owns Baltimore Magazine amongst a whole host of other Jeppe family enterprises. Before we let you go, Steve, we've talked about Dick Gordon. We talked just a moment about collectibles. Uh, Be remiss if I didn't ask you, you are the most optimistic Oriole fan that I've ever known. Uh, this has been, without a doubt, the toughest season, even far tougher than 1988. Do you see a, a light at the end of the tunnel, or are we not far enough into the tunnel yet? Well, keep in mind that the Houston Astros lost over 100 games three years in a row. Right. Someone just 
sent me a list of the worst teams ever. There was a team, I don't know, the 18 daddies that won 20, 20 games and lost 130, some ridiculous number. But uh, I am optimistic, not Pollyanna-ish. I, I really believe that sometimes you have to hit rock bottom. And I told my son, who turned 38 recently, that when I turned 38, it was 1988. And the Orioles had what then was the worst season ever. Yep. He just turned 38, and it's an even worse season. I said, so if things follow suit, Steve Jeppy, when's the what, Orioles almost won it? What, so but, but what year is Steve Jeppy going to turn? Stevie Jeppy going to turn thirty-eight? I may yeah, get we an advance. Yeah, trail of that. That would be two thousand thirty-nine. I'm hoping I'm around to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, uh, we picked up some young players, and like you watch his kid Cedric Mullins, uh, DJ Stewart. You, you never know. It's the Wally Pip syndrome. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a guy sits out a game, and a guy named Lou Gehrig steps in, and next thing you know. A lot of players that became great players never really were touted as great players. I remember Tommy Lasorda telling me the story about um, uh, about uh, his, his his nephew. Um, why am I Mike, P- Mike Piazza? Mike, Mike Piazza, yeah. Mike Piazza was like they sent Tommy to the East Coast or something for X dollars to give to. He was supposed to go to Canada to sign some young guy that was top pick or whatever. And he went and scouted him, and I guess you could argue that it was profit bias because it was related, but he said to them, I'm not going to Canada. Give the money to this kid. This right. kid's in the Hall of Fame now. And he was like number whatever <laughs> right. long down the list of athletes. So guys develop later. I'm a big believer in that not letting somebody die on the vine at AAA. Let them make all their mistakes in the big leagues. And for, Nick Marquette is a good example of that. They brought him up rather quickly. I always thought that was because he was Greek and Peter was Greek. <laughs> but he came up and he got to make his mistakes in the first year of Major League as opposed to the last year of the minor leagues. And he blossomed into a great player and is having a great year this year. So my optimism is not rooted in uh, just silliness. I really believe that when you hit rock bottom, you've got nothing to lose. And this is true in just everything, not just in sports. Right. It's true in business. Sometimes when you hit rock bottom, you get a little hungrier. You make a little better decisions. When you're a fat cat, you tend to get careless, as in business, financially. You could get, oh, we can afford it, we can afford it. But if you're hurting, you tend to make decisions a lot better. And I think that's what the Orioles have been doing. I was really pleased to see the other day at Dick's funeral, uh, three good friends, well, really four. It was Rick Schultz, uh, Ray Schulte was there, but also saw sure. Steve Freeman, Bill Stetka, and, of course, Dan Duquette, which meant a lot to me to see Dan yep. there. With all that's going on in the Orioles, he took time out to see be, I pay his respects to his dear friend Dick Gordon. Yep, and he knew Dick extremely well because of Dick's relationship with the Boston Red Sox through Ted Williams mm-hmm. and Carl Yastrzemski. Steve, one question. I'm not going to ask you to get into who's going to be the manager, who's going to be this. When would you think... <laughs> but what the, do you think? <laughs> no, but what, no. When, when would you think is the right time for the organization with where it's out, with where it's at, to explain to its fans what the next steps are going to be here? Well, the one thing about baseball and sports in general is there's a, there's a calendar yep. that has dates on it that things have to be done by. And a lot of decisions that will have to be done just by ordinary course in baseball require a manager and a general manager to be in place. So I would think it would be crazier for us not to make a decision very soon because you can't wait until those dates pass and then have the guy stuck with the decisions that were made he had no involvement in. So I would think that as soon as this season's over, you're going to hear – I'm sure that the guys are working on talking to prospects now. Yeah, I don't know anything about who's doing what. Uh, I'm I'm guessing, kind of hoping that Dan Duquette stays. Yeah, uh, I don't know 
even if Buck wants to stay, to tell you the truth, you know, but I I think he'd want to. Yep. And if they see an opportunity here, Buck's always been good with young teams and developing, you know, in a fatherly way, these young players. So that's still, don't rule that out. A lot of speculation in the paper, but I think they got to make that decision really soon because of the calendar in baseball. Uh, one last quickie. Eddie Murray and Brooks Robinson were brought back into the fold as actual working members of Baltimore Orioles with real contracts. Do you think Cal Ripken will somehow be a part of this next era of Oriole baseball? I would like to see that. Yep. I don't know that that will happen. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's just too many balls in the air. Cal's schedule. He's got a whole yep. other life now. And, you know, he's in the, in the media. You know, he does things for the Major League Baseball or the sports networks. Uh, but I think having Eddie and Brooks was one of the best moves we ever did. Yeah. And I don't think, as Eddie clearly stated when he was, you know, asked to do that, he's not a figurehead. He really wants to be involved with these young players. These guys miss baseball. And I think nobody could give better examples of Oriole way than these two. Yeah, first thing I do with Eddie Murray is send him down to Dallas, Texas, or wherever Chris Davis lives, and I ask them to spend like three weeks together working on some things. I tell you what, a guy doesn't hit 53, 47, 38, 33 a couple times without having the talent to do it. There is a switch that can be thrown there. I don't give up on Chris, Chris Davis at all. I was a big advocate of that signing, so yep. blame me if anything, but I yep. tell you what. A lot that of guy's people. Got the talent. He can do it. There's no question in my mind, and I, I'm not giving up on him either. I haven't either. And I, I really, Steve, have a hard time with a lot of these fans, and I do a lot of different talk shows during the course of a week or a month. And these these people who are yelling and screaming about this contract, they all wanted them back. They all wanted them back. Yep. And the, there was uh, a time there was a time where they said we would have got criticism for not spending the money. Well, exactly. And you know, I was going to say there was a time where everybody was saying, "Well, they'll never resign him. They'll never do this. They'll never do that." And then it turns out Bordick gets signed. It turns out they spent the money. And, you know, obviously the last two years for Chris, it hasn't worked out, but there's not a person. Well, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback. We as fans reserve the right to be hypocrites. <laughs> yeah, I but, guess, but still, you know, uh, remember. He started hitting 50 home runs again. Those same people would turn around. Uh, he's a great first baseman. I think he got screwed a couple of years ago when he should have won gold glove. Uh, he has picked more Manny Machado throws, and even J.J. Hardy's out of the dirt. He was like what Boog was to Brooks. Right. And I think Davis is, you know, nobody's struggling more with it mentally than him. And it's like they say, be a rooter, not a ragger. You know, try to encourage somebody. When you're ragging on somebody, you don't help the cause. You hurt the cause. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Right. Steve Jeppe, we appreciate your spending some time and reminiscing about Dick Gordon. I've said that about you all the time. If you're not part of the solution, you're the problem. (laughs) Thanks, Steve, for reiterating that. Thank you guys for the honor of being on your show. It's a great show, and uh, keep up the good work. All right, Steve. Appreciate it. Appreciate your friendship. All right.